One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gag Impressing. The German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you? Okay, Bryce, thanks. A um, little quiet because it's a late one and um, everybody else is in bed apart from me. So um, if I sound a little quiet, that's why. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that these bloody Monday night games, eh? We're not exactly fans of them either, are we? Just like the fans. Get me whistle out. Well... We'll get to that, I think, uh, all in good time. But um, joining uh, Chris and I, possibly with whistle in hand, is Manu Vett. Hey, Bryce, how are you doing? Not too bad. We're we're on a, a podcast marathon, aren't we? This mm. is our second one in two hours. Yeah, but I, I, I'm with you guys. I'm not a big fan of the Monday night games. It just doesn't feel right at all. I, that Monday fixture just shouldn't exist. Um I feel, I feel we should be doing, we should be able to do this podcast on Sunday and be all done and dusted with when the majority of games are done. Well, that's it, because we've got plenty of other stuff going on out during the week, and I can only imagine the listeners would like it out for their Monday commute, eh? But, um, guys, let's, um, let's jump in. Um, uh, before we talk about games, um, Manu, there, there was um, an interview with uh, Parameter Sacker um, this week that, um, about the pressures of football, but it seems to be having um, a, a bit of an, a strange reaction. I mean, could you explain the interview and um, the possible fallout that's um, occurred um, since it's been out? Yeah, there's an article that came out Monday um, in Spiegel. Spiegel is, of course, one of the, the big political magazines in Germany, right? And um, he just spoke about some some things that, I mean, some of us know. Some of us don't, but the fact that there's a lot of pressure on, on players, um, he said that before any game, um, before any kickoff, he, he almost feels like throwing up and does actually gag and uh, tries to hide it. And because, I mean, the camera is already then on. And, um, I also spoke about that, you know, 80% of all players are all running to the toilet several times before imagine that they can't keep in their food and because of the pressure, right? Uh, of course, these are professional players. Um, we expect from them to perform on the highest level at all times. And um, I, I, but at the same time, I really get where he's coming from because I can, I can really sense that there's, there's so much football going on right now. And there's so many games coming more and more games. And, and one of the things that he points out, really the only time he does get a break is when he's hurt, when he's injured, because then he can go somewhere and just, train on his own and have have his own time and be really removed from from the business. I think with the interview, really, what do we want to say? It's not that he really was criticizing the business itself because he also said at the very end of the interview that he would do it all over again. It was all worth it. But I think what he really wants to is criticizing is the speed and the, the amount of games. This every day has to be a game. There's no time for recovery anymore. Um, the the amount of pressure that players get, not just in the game, but also outside of the game, is enormous. I mean, Chris, we were talking off the pod about an incident that you witnessed, right? And the fact that fans sometimes don't, and I mean, rightfully so, fans pay a lot of money for a lot of this stuff, but they, there seems to be a very, almost like a disconnect between the reality and the person. And maybe it is also just like a warning sign that this game is almost taken to some extent a bit too serious. Yeah, it is, and I've, I've got a lot of sympathy for football players, especially when they're um, not playing. Uh, so if they're out and about with their families, 
they get. I've witnessed a few footballers in restaurants, etc., get constantly barraged. They're out, you know, having a meal with their wife and their children, and can I have a picture? Can I have a picture? Can I have a picture? Which, you know, you might think yourself, well, I'm just going to ask him for a picture, but you you have to also understand you're the 40th person to do that the last 40 minutes. He's trying to have dinner with his wife and his children. Um, so I get that. Uh, I think that because they're in the media and they're in the spotlight, people have an assumption that they own them or they see them on television. So all of a sudden they think, oh, yeah, he's all right. I've seen him on TV. Um, so I'll, I'll just go and chat to him. Well, no. Is he in his club jacket? Is he in his club uh, you know, shirt? Is he on club duty? If he's not, probably just leave him alone. But I suppose the uh, argument a lot of people would throw back at you, um, not that it's one that I agree with, but is that, you know, look at the amount of money that they're being paid, Chris. Yeah, they get paid a lot of money. They get paid a lot of money to kick a ball around. They don't get paid a lot of money to um, consistently, you know, have people interrupt them during their dinner or when they're out with friends. Um, and, you know, I think Manu mentioned it, but the article mentions it as well. That's why players disconnect themselves now. That's why they wear headphones. That's why they wear sunglasses. That's why they wear their hoods up because, you know, they just want a little break and that's the only time they're going to get it. So I understand, you know, they need to do sign-ins and, and they do that. There's loads. Emre Chan, for instance, German player, plays at Liverpool, fantastic, spends a lot of time with um, fans outside the ground after a game. You know, that's mainly to be applauded. Um do then people think that they've got the right to go and speak to him when he's out with his friends having a drink to be left on his own? And then you know, all of a sudden people don't like it because one of the players goes, actually, I'm out with my friends here. Um, I don't want to sign anything. And they go, oh, who are you? You're supposed to be. And then it gets escalated into a fight. And you know, and then someone videos it and, and sells it to the press. Yeah, that's it. And I can only take that one comment, can't I, when they've spent all that other time you know, with the the fans, um, and and a lot of time that they don't, that they're not obliged to, that they don't have to. But um, Manu, just just to go back um to uh Per Mertesacker, I mean, how has this been received um you would by other or or other um you know German footballing uh legends? Yeah, Lothar Matthäus said that it was Per Mertesacker's choice and it's a privilege to play football. And I mean, he, he is right, but I don't think that's what Per Mertesacker meant. He, I also Pem- think, Manu, that Lothar Matthäus played the game in a time where there wasn't social media and mm. um, mobile telephones that take pictures yeah. and people constantly barraging you. I think it was a completely different game then. And they also didn't play the frequency that they play today. I mean, we, we, we talked about this the other day, right, Chris? They The last two or three weeks... We were reporting on a game every day. Every single day <laughs> yeah, there was a game. Yeah. Every single day. So, I mean, yes, these guys don't play in every single one of these games. And yes, it's great for the media that it is like that. But at the same time, I mean, they play game after game after game after game after game after game, right? And um, that's it's just gotten so much. Um, when they're supposed to have time off, they sit in a they sit in a plane. They fly over to to North America to play friendlies or to China, right? There is there is no more time for them um, to, to relax or recover even. And this is the thing. This is why we see so many top players getting hurt all the time. It's because the recovery time is gone. And I think this is really something that he mentioned as well. And this is this is something, of course, Lothar Matthäus didn't have that. There wasn't a Comfort Cup. There wasn't a there wasn't uh, summer tournaments in the United States, etc., etc., etc. And when they did play those tournaments, they weren't on every television station on the planet, right? Nowadays, a friendly between Bayern and Barcelona played at Levi Stadium in San Francisco gets the exact same media attention in a normal league match. And that's that's a huge difference. Yeah, well, that, well, that's it. I mean, Mordechai, he, he does go, and it's not like he's ungrateful or that he regrets you know, his footballing career. He he does say in the interview, even if I had to vomit before every game and go to rehab twenty times, I would do it all over again. It was worth it for all the memories. So, I, I don't feel that um, he's ungrateful, um, but I think he's just he's he's trying to let people realize that there, there's a lot of pressure on footballers, and and at the end of the day. They're they're human as well. I mean, a lot of us you know, feel a bit nervous before interviews or before um before we go into work for whatever reason when you've got a presentation. These guys are you know are being watched by millions every game. You know they're they're bound to feel pressure. You know, and I I think I I totally agree with Chris as well that 
they they don't have any private lives either and you know that that is something that's very difficult regardless of the money that you're earning and yeah Matthias is he's got to realize that it's a, it's a different era completely isn't it but uh, guys, let's move on. Uh, let's move past the uh, pyramid sector and speak about somebody that's in the current um, German side. who's just signed a new contract for Borussia Dortmund, and that is Marco Royce. Um, Chris, we'll go to you uh, on this one. Um, obviously, uh, Dortmund's a, a team close to your heart. You, the, surely this is seen as fantastic news, though maybe some are saying that he's rather injury-prone and, you know, that this isn't as as good a news as what some people are, are, are suggesting it is. I think this is very good news for Dortmund because he signed to 2023 and he's a very big figure, Marco Royce, not just in Dortmund but in Germany and the world beyond. He would have had plenty of offers from Premier League sides, from top Premier League sides as well. Um, he probably would have had offers from Spanish sides to go and play there had he left Dortmund. So to say he's you know consistently injury prone, yeah, he, he suffered from injuries, but when he's there and he's playing, he's as good as anyone else on the pitch on that day, if not better. And his um, return from injury and his return to form has sort of coincided with Borussia Dortmund's um, spike in performances. So it's excellent for that. But more than anything, he must have been told um, what's going to be happening next. Mm. So I think we're all aware that Dortmund aren't playing particularly well at the moment on the whole under Peter Stoger. Um, players have left the club, Aubameyang, Dembele. You know, there's talk of Pulisic potentially leaving. Um, so he's going to have to have been told something that's going to say, actually, yeah, I'm going to choose to stay at Borussia Dortmund for the next so many years until 2023. I'm not actually going to go and take the money from either England or Spain, which was there. So he must have been told something, which I think is exciting if you're a Dortmund fan or someone who you follow Dortmund, because I think it hinges on changes afoot, be that in the summer with either a new manager or um, new targets of players. Um, I think he's already spoken about uh, Missy Batshuayi. He wants him. He wants he wants the uh, Chelsea loanee to be signed. He spoke today about that. He said it'd be fantastic to play with him full time. So you don't know if he's had assurances that they're going to try and um, leverage some pressure on Chelsea to sell him with a decent figure. But he must have been told more than you know one or two things to make him stay because it's it's a big commitment because he could have gone anywhere really. That's a huge commitment till 2023. He's going to be 34, and I guess the the way his career has been gone. That will be till the end of his career almost, maybe like a stint in the United States after that, right? And there's always that door, um, open. I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question because I mean, the initial feedback that I got, um, or we all got when we, we were quite happy about the signing is that some people said, well, he's always injured, right? Um, he's missed six months worth of games. Um, but I put this question actually to Twitter and asked, uh, whether this was brilliant, good, okay, or waste of money. And, 42% of people said it was brilliant, 30% was good, 17% said okay, and 11% said it was a waste of money. Um, I suspect there were some bitter Gladbach fans among those um, 11% that are still unhappy that he's left uh, Gladbach. Um, but you have to remember, this is a Dortmund boy through and through. Um, he went through the youth academy there and, and um, was, you know, was sorted out and you had to go to LR and and then play at Gladbach before he was able to go back, come back to Dortmund. So I mean, think he actually hangs. He has a, he, he feels really connected to the city. So this is, this is a big factor. But I mean, Chris, um, I think the really, the, for me, the big, uh, excitement about this is because that was something that was mentioned so many times, um, in the press and also, um, by Marco Royce himself that this wasn't about money. This was really about the promises that Dortmund were going to make because he wanted, he wants to know who's going to be the coach next year, what players are going to come in. And for him to have that conversation, relatively quick conversation, because we didn't think this would happen till later this, this season, right? That's, that's a big symbol that there is change afoot, right? If he commits now, then you can only imagine that they, the Dortmund bosses, Zork and Watzke, um, that they are cooking something together there. Yeah, most definitely. And we also how um, pleasantly surprised and the, the look of joy in his face when he lifted a Pokal last May in Berlin. You know, he, he was mega happy to win that trophy. And, 
you were quite right. He's always said it'll never be about the money. It'll be about if I can only stay at this side, if I'm going to be able to challenge for titles and win trophies. So he's obviously been given an assurance that he's happy with and he's happy to commit to what is probably quite right, Manu, the rest of his playing career. Yeah, it's definitely good news for Dortmund, in, in my opinion, as well. It, Manu, I think you, you're probably right in saying that clearly the club have told him um, something, um, well, something positive ahead of what I referred to um, to you earlier in the week um, as a rather big summer, possibly the biggest summer in years for Dortmund because they'll be looking to, um, well, fill that striker position. If it's not Batsway, then who will it be? Also, uh, the coach uncertainty, even though Stoger is doing his very utmost to, um, well, to steer them in the right direction and keep that position. I suppose the only time will tell what exactly um, happens at the club. But let's talk about the on-field uh, antics where um, we got a hell of a game when they took on Eintracht Frankfurt on, on Sunday. The game finishing 3-2. It wasn't the most entertaining game, if I'm being honest, but it had a hell of an ending to it with um, Batswais coming off the bench um, scoring to make it 2-1, but then an equaliser in the 90th minute followed by one in the... Manu, was it the 92nd from Batswai? But um, you have a 94th. fantastic finish. 94th. 94th. Yeah. There you go. But um, yeah, the, this is a fantastic result for Dortmund, isn't it? And it sees them move up to third in the table. Manu, the, the, this is huge, especially as Eintracht have, have had such a great season. Yeah, I mean, this, this was... Um... And we're going to have more games like that coming up, right? Um, a big decider in terms of the Champions League race. It gives them some breathing room. It, it's it's tight in the top four. Schalke on 46, uh, Dortmund uh, on 45, Leverkusen on 44, and then you have Frankfurt already on 42, and a little bit off of the beaten path already. Uh, Leipzig with just 40. But yeah, for Dortmund, that's a big big result because it means a three-point gap to, to Frankfurt. And... I, I mean, there was, there was dull periods. Um, Dortmund are an interesting, interesting team to watch these days because I always sense that they start very well into games. It's the case against Salzburg in the Europa League as well. They start really well and then they just kind of fall off a cliff. Um, and then don't come back from that or, you know, try to come back, but it's just simply not enough. We saw that against Bergamo. We saw parts of that against Salzburg, um, just too little too late. And we saw it in this game as well, where they just completely fell off um, and then conceded a needless um, goal. Um, and then it was only the last 15 minutes, really, um, where they started playing again. And um, both sides started playing again. And I, I'm, I just almost, it's really hard to pinpoint why that is, because we get these these really nice starts to game where you think, okay, well, this this is going to be the game. This is going to be the game where... Everything is going to come together again, and we're going to see the same old Dortmund that we've seen under, you know, glimpses of under Bosch in the beginning of the season and under Tuchel. And then all of a sudden, it's just gone. It just completely falls flat. And um, I think that is really, I was almost wondering, and I, I kind of hinted on that when we chatted off pod, right, Chris? Maybe that's a fitness issue. Is that maybe it? Is that you have so many players coming back from injuries? Schürrle, Götze. Royce, they you know they're all coming back from injuries recently. Then you have players looking for form. Um, then you have Butch Y who sat on the bench a lot in in London. Um, maybe these players are just not there to play more than sixty minutes, or just don't have the legs to, to play the football that we expect them to play for for ninety minutes. Yeah, it's a very good question. And if you take this game aside, because obviously Dortmund finished um, the stronger, so that would go against what we've been chatting about over the last few weeks, they do look like they've run out of steam, but this game was disappointing if you're Dahoud, I think, um, because it was pretty much a nothing for him until he, he was withdrawn and Weigel came on, and I thought the, the whole shape of Dortmund changed after that, um, which is very sad for Dahoud because we all thought it was going to be an excellent signing, and he's certainly not lived up to that. So it's a difficult one for him. Um I was particularly pleased to see Maximilian Philipp come back because I thought he had an excellent start to his Dortmund career and then he got that horrific injury, didn't he, where he um, dislocated his kneecap. And I tweeted out the other night, I thought that when he was injured, he was the uh, most in-form 
Dortmund striker. Um, he was scoring some excellent goals. He was chipping in with assists. Um, and he looked like he'd really settled in the Westfalen Stadion. Unfortunately, he was injured and at, at a time when Dortmund, I think, needed him because Aubameyang was on the ropes and mentally he was gone. Um, but yeah, this was a good showing for Dortmund because, to be honest, once it went um, 2-2, I genuinely thought that was that. I didn't think they had it in them, but they did that very final attack and you know who's in the right place at the right time again. Um, it's a Batman, isn't it? I thought he was he was incredible to come off the bench and and to be that um, high on level and and to be that capable after coming off the bench shows that he's happy to maybe start and sometimes he's happy to come off the bench because at the minute he doesn't care he'll just score. Mm, yeah, I think maybe Batshuayi was giving a little bit of a, a wake up call by Stöger because he hasn't scored in, in three games, right, and uh, was left on the bench and. He definitely, I think he did show the right reaction <clears throat> coming off the bench and basically say like, look, uh, I can still score goals. Um, I'm not a fluke. Um, I'm not a one hit wonder. Um, that some people already labeled him as when he didn't score in the last three Bundesliga games and two vital goals that are very important. And I mean, this result is, is, is very important too, because this result would actually be enough to go through in the Europa League on, on Thursday, right, Chris? Yeah, that's going to be um, a game. If Dortmund needed a decent warm-up for that, I think this was it because I think Salzburg, although they played very well um, in the first leg, I thought Dortmund were horrendous at home. Mm. Um, and Salzburg, you know, no disrespect to them, aren't on the same level as Eintracht Frankfurt. So if Dortmund can play at this level, they should um, breeze past um, RB Salzburg in Austria. I don't think it'll be a problem for them, but they're going to need an early goal, and we had an early goal in this game, didn't we? We all thought it was um, Marco Royce, when in fact it was Marco Russ. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice indeed. Yeah, I must say, after that early goal, I thought that Zoltman were going to run rampant um, over Eintracht, but didn't quite uh, turn out that way, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they react against um, Salzburg. Um, Manu, uh, do, we obviously said that this is a fantastic way to warm up for that game. Do you see them coming out on top and, and progressing to the next round? Uh, so uh, the preview is already written. Um, it's not posted yet, but it's written. And I put down 4-1 for Dortmund. I, I just have Ooh. a sense that um, it's embarrassing. You know, as a German, it's, um, I, I live very close in Germany to the Austrian border. And, um, you know, when you are Piefke, as they call us, then you do not want to lose to them. And, uh, an Austrian team had never won in Dortmund ever. And that's already embarrassing enough. And I think there's a lot on the line. And, you know, Germany, Austria, that rivalry, Austria is one of Germany's biggest rivalries and for, for rival, rivals in football in period and in every other sport as well. So I think, um, anything but a dominant Dortmund result in Salzburg will be an embarrassment. Um, and I don't say that lightly, but that's the case. So I, I reckon that, um, if a normal Dortmund side shows up, they can really do some damage there in Salzburg because it, Chris is absolutely right. That first game was an absolute, that was a shocker. There was nothing there. Um, they, when they finally did wake up, um, it was too little too late. And I think that they need to, they're going to do anything in their power to rectify that. Yeah. Is it just me or does it still seem like Dortmund's receiving a lot of, um, a lot of criticism at the moment because they're maybe a little bit flatter than what we're used to seeing when they were under Klopp, under Tuchel, you know, even at times under Bost. Uh, but they haven't lost now in the league in, in 12 matches. You know, that that's a rather impressive stat on it. So they're sitting third in the table, only a point behind Schalke. I, I, I feel a win at the you know, midweek um, and then at the weekend um, against Hanover, you know, we'll, we'll set them up in good stead to then take on a Bayern, um, you know, and I, I don't know, Chris, did you feel that maybe criticism is, is still a little bit harsh on them? Ooh, that's a good question, Bryce. Defence is still out on Peter Stoker for me because I think um, 
think his Dortmund side have been pretty dull at times and that is not what you want to see if you're going to the West Stadium week in, week out, especially if you look at the play they are playing under Tuchel, which I thought at times was excellent. Um, and then obviously you've got Klopp before it, Boris last season, where they were excellent, winning titles, winning Pokals, getting to Champions League finals, even under Tuchel they won the Pokal and they're playing very good football. Got through to the latter stages of the Champions League, probably would have got through a lot further if um, they hadn't gone through the horrendous ordeal that they did. And then you know, we went to what was Peter Bosch, a terrible time in Europe, terrible time in the league. Peter Stoger's come in, he sort of steadied the ship, but it's not exciting football. And then he's sort of stuttered in his first test in Europe. Obviously, he didn't do particularly well with FC Clone in Europe. And now he's come in and he didn't really have a good time. And they've just about scraped through the previous round there um, behind on away goals in this current round. So I think it's important for him that they have a good result in Salzburg because otherwise it says that you know this manager potentially can't navigate through the Europa League. How's he going to navigate us back through the Champions League groups? And that's my only concern. And I know you're quite right, they haven't lost in a while, but it's they also haven't won convincingly. Apart from this match, I think the, the last-minute winner and the way they went against that match um, to try and win it, was credit to them and credit to Waystoker's got them to try and play football. But at the end of the day, I still think they're really poor at the back. Yeah, that seems to be an issue that um, is going on and on and on for Dortmund with them being a rather back. Um, Manu, uh, before we move away from uh, this fixture, where I'd, I'd like to just ask a little bit about Eintracht uh, Frankfurt. They've had a rather positive season, haven't they? They're, they're still sitting in fifth. Um, they have lost two of their last three, but um, it, it, it was positive signs in the second half that they could get back into the game. The first half, they'd only had one shot. Second half, they had nine, and, and they looked a different side against them. Dortmund, they're going to be facing Mainz uh, this week. Um, it, you'd imagine that they'll probably get back on track, won't you? Yeah, it's a derby. Um, that's the mind derby. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, minds have been a dreadful side. Um, we have almost too many dreadful sides in, in the Bundesliga at the moment, unfortunately. And minds is definitely one of them. They're not a fun team to watch. I, I believe they played on Friday against Schalke, right? And we were chatting and it was just, uh, um, a sleeping pill of a game. And, um, so yeah, I, I reckon that. Eintracht Frankfurt on current form. You know, they were very, I don't want to say unfortunate because I don't really believe in, in luck, but you know, they, they were really, they were, took it to Dortmund and they were a very good side. Um, and they are a lot of fun to watch because they just never give up as a team. They just, they keep going and going and going. And I think, um, they, they will get their three points against Mainz, which means that, you know, the three other teams that are ahead of them in the standings, they will have to do the utmost to get their points because Frankfurt is going to keep change, chasing them. And I suppose, Chris, with that, uh, with Eintracht chasing uh, the likes of uh, Dortmund, and they're also being a Schalke, Leverkusen, I mean, RB Leipzig as well, um, would the Europa League possibly be their best chance of getting back in the Champions League next year? Who for um, RB Leipzig? No, sorry for for Dortmund. Just before we move away from Dortmund. Oh, that's a hard one because obviously they're down on away goals. I, I think they should have enough quality to finish in the top four um, come May. Uh, I would be shocked if Dortmund fell out. Um, I think for Frankfurt, I think the Europa League would be an excellent platform to them to build on in Europe next season. I think if they were to go into the Champions League. I think Eintracht Frankfurt would be exceptionally out of the depth, a little like Hoffenheim were in last season or this season's qualifier for the Champions League. Um, I would be afraid that Frankfurt would get pummeled in a group. Um, I don't think they're probably as well set up for Champions League football as Leipzig were, um, and Leipzig didn't do particularly well. So for me, I'd be shocked, Bryce, if um, Dortmund fell outside of the top four come the end of the season. But I'd very much like to see Eintracht Frankfurt in next season's Europa League. Yeah, I think the, the four teams that are in the Champions League spots right now would do very well representing Germany next year in the Champions League. All those four teams, they have the, the, the experience and the quality, right? Um, yeah, that's for me. 
the current top four is the um, top four best sides in the German league at the moment, um, yeah. bar none. I don't think there's anyone else that's outside of that top four that I would argue that could probably replace any of them. Um, the Historically, the bigger teams, Schalke, Leverkusen, Dortmund, and of course Bayern Munich, for me, that that's the best top four, especially after the top four that we've seen this season that went into Europe, which wasn't particularly strong. Um, Germany needs a, a strong return next season in a European competition. And in fact, as it stands, the top six um, would be would be the best six to go forward for me. Yeah, maybe even the top seven, right? Because hot, the seventh spot might be enough yeah. as well. So yeah, I, I go 100% along with that. I think that the top seven that we're seeing right now, all those teams would do very well in Europe and maybe in the positions that they're in right now as well, right? Given, you know, the four Champions League starters and the European starters. Um, Europa League for Frankfurt and Leipzig um, and Hoffenheim. I think those would be three teams that would do very well in that competition. Well, well, Manu, then I'm, I'm going to put the same question I put to Chris um, about um, Dortmund, but this time about RB Leipzig. Um, do you think that the easiest way for them to get into the uh, Champions League will be via the Europa League? Uh, and how do you feel that they're going to get on in the match coming up against uh, Zenit when they're already 2-1 up? But I suppose Zenit do have that away goal. Yes, and you do have that away goal, but I actually do think that the Europa League might be the best path for Leipzig to return to the Champions League. And, um, you know, that's, that shows you how, how difficult of a path it is back for them to the Champions League at the moment. It's really hard to, um, predict this match, Bryce. I did write the preview and I cover Russian football quite a lot. And Senate have been very poor since the winter. Um, they, the only match that they won was the 3-0 victory against Celtic in the return leg um, at, in the Europa League at the previous stage, the, the round of 32. Um, at the same time, this is a very good team, right? But you know they can't get um, they can't get more than a 0-0 draw against Perm Amka Perm or a 0-0 draw against Rostov. And I think the game in Leipzig they were actually quite fortunate to get um, this kind of result and I don't mean scoring a goal Leipzig should have maybe scored three or four you know and put this put this tight bet um, now they're going back to St. Petersburg to the Kristofsky Stadium it's a loud facility it's a tough stadium to build in St. Petersburg fans um, this is a, this is a huge city with only one club right so the entire city is behind this team um, there's a, there's a very passionate supporting base for, for Senate in the city of St. Petersburg. So this will be, will be a tough test. And I mean, going, traveling to St. Petersburg, this is a long distance flight as well. It's something that this side, this young side has never experienced before. And St. Petersburg have been in European competition for a long time. And you, you know, you can't take it to, you have to be careful when, when it comes to that. I think that Leipzig, um, facing Senate at the right time because they, they're struggling. There's a lot of, there's, there was a minor scandal with Roberto Mancini, um, on Instagram today because he said something not so nice to a Senate some supporter that put a comment underneath one of his pictures. So there's, there's something brewing in, in St. Petersburg at the moment. Um, something that we will discuss in depth tomorrow on the Football Grad podcast. But at the same time, this is a good team. So, um, and at the same time, you have to go all the way to Russia. Um, you have to, to play there. And, and there's lots of big European sides that have gone to St. Petersburg and have lost there. I mean, Bayern Munich played there in 2008, I believe, in the Europa League, uh, or UEFA Cup semi-final. Sorry, it was then. And they lost 4-0 in St. Petersburg. Um, so this is not a side that you should underestimate. Mm, it's going to be an interesting tie. I know that much. Um, and I, I want to thoroughly look forward to um, quite the perfect tie for the uh, football grad network. Eh? Uh, but, um, Chris, I feel we need to speak a little bit more about, and yes, we've spoken about them plenty in the last few weeks, but about uh, Hamburg. Uh, things um, obviously didn't go too well against Bayern. Uh, they lost 6-0. That was kind of suspected to be honest I mean they've they've shipped a lot of goals against Bayern over the last few years uh, but uh, the, the, not just the clock is about to stop but actually uh, Bernd Hollerbach's uh, time as coach has stopped as well after only six weeks would you say Chris that they're making these changes 
as they realize that, that this is the time, they, they are going to go down. Danny Pellegrino here with a very merry, iconic podcast here to tell you about AMC Plus with best Christmas ever on AMC Plus. Every day feels like Christmas morning from new holiday favorites like Elf and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, um, I mean, wow, what's going on at Hamburg? It's um, it's potentially the worst situation I've seen. You've got managers or head coaches coming in when I didn't really think one needed to go. Uh, I didn't think Gestahl needed to go. Um, I thought he should have been given a bit more time. They brought Holler back in. He's lasted what seems to be two weeks. I know it's a little longer than that, but it feels like he's two weeks now. They bought um, Christian Titsin, which is going to cause lots of hilarity in the English-speaking world with his last name. Um, but it's not just that. It's what's happening on the pitch. We said, I think, was it a week or two weeks ago, they just look like players playing a contract out. They don't look interested. Um, we specifically mentioned about Cologne and how they were playing very, very well and they looked like they were up for the fight. Hamburg don't look like they're up for a fight at all. And to get beat 6-0 in the Allianz, um, I think they did quite well there because I predicted that they would get hit for double figures. That's how bad they've been playing at the moment. And not only have they got that, they've got that horrendous clock that keeps ticking, which is a millstone around anybody's neck. They've now also got their um, ultras um, turning onto their training ground and putting crosses in the field. So it's a bad situation at Hamburg and one that I can only see getting more sour as the weeks knock on towards May. Yeah, I told a friend of mine about this clock and, uh, you know, someone who doesn't regularly watch football. And he said, like, oh, that kind of reminds me of, you know, those those uh, factories where they have a no incident since uh, clock. In, in, and he said, so it's sort of like that. It's like, you know, the longer the clock ticks, the more likely the incident is actually going to happen. And I was like, oh, that's a very good analogy. <laughs> because um, I mean, we have made fun so much of this clock and I'm pretty sure the clock is going to end. But um, yeah, it's th these changes and these things that are happening in Hamburg right now. Firing a coach after six weeks. Um I I have to think a long time back, the, the last time I, I I saw something like that happening in Bundesliga, this is the kind of stuff that's happening in Italy or Spain and we kind of make fun of, right? But um, this to happen in, in, in Germany, in Germany's top flight with one of the most historical teams in in Europe even, you know, this is this is one of only five teams in the top European leagues to be a founding member of the league and never been relegated. Um, and that's, that's about to end. And I, th I think this is all the things that we're seeing now in, in some ways make sense. But, you know, the firing of Pochag, the firing of Todd, the sporting director, the firing of Bernd Hollerbach. And of course, there's a new regime that came in with new president, Bernd Hoffmann. And I guess they just realized, like, look, we're done. This is it. The season is over. We're going to be relegated, but we might as well just now start an early rebuild. And I guess. Maybe also keep that tiny little bit of rest hope alive that maybe there is a miracle, although, um, I don't think that's going to happen to, to, to stay in the league. Um, and as of, of the, for the buying game, Chris, I think we were joking double figures and I actually put down in my preview for the game seven zero. So I was kind of disappointed that Lewandowski missed that one penalty. <laughs> yeah. Then you would have had a spot on, eh? Yeah. But. Uh, I'll ask both of you guys here, even though I don't, I don't think we we expect that much. Uh, do we see um, new coach uh, Tits um, getting that new 
coach bounce that you see sometimes when when a coach comes in. I mean, they're going to be playing um, Hertha next in the league, who have not scored in four games. Chris, I mean, do you see them getting any sort of joy, even if we do think that whatever they achieve the end of the season is a little too late? They're probably quite happy that they're playing Hertha Billen at home because you don't know what you're going to get. I've seen them a couple of times. I think they're dreadful um, this season. Although they're they're a little better when I saw them against um, Schalke. I just thought they couldn't find their scoring boots. If they play the same way they played um, in Hamburg against the sorry, if they play the same way against Hamburg as they did against um, Schalke, uh, I think um, Hamburg are going to get beaten again. But you don't know what you're going to get with that Hertha side, which is why they're languishing in 11th place because it's, you know, one, two, skip a few, three, four, draw some more. You, you don't really know what you're going to get with them. So um, it's a chance for them, um, but I can't see new manager bounce. I, in order for something to bounce, Bryce, it needs to have some air in it. Hamburg is flat. Nice. I like that wording. Eh? Like that. Segway, uh, yeah. segway to that. Oh, what a guy. Um uh, <laughs> Manu, I'd just like to say, um, well, put the question to you. I mean, Chris said that um, Hertha can be equally uh, as as dreadful as some of the other sides in the Bundesliga. You said earlier that, um, well, you know, there's a a few um, dreadful or flat teams um, at the moment. Um, If we look from Hertha downwards in in the table, so that's 11th. I mean, are there any of the teams there, Manu, that you actually your rate in any way oh as in playing attractive football um, playing attractive football or you or you think that they're a good side in, in, in any way any positives really you know we, we've said on numerous occasions in the pods uh, you know, this season and last season that we don't really rate Hertha Berlin they they, they only show slight glimpses of time of, of being a, a, an entertaining football to, team to watch but you've got Hanover, I suppose, newly promoted, but you've got Bremen, you've know, mm. Freiburg, you've got Wolfsburg, Mainz, Hamburg, and and Cologne. Yeah, there's a general. Um, there's there's a lot of coaches. You know, the league is very tight behind Bayern, right? So a lot of coaches play football that's more oriented towards getting results rather than playing good football. Um, Köln are actually one of the sites that are trying to play good football and it's not getting them anywhere. Um, it's, it's really, un- it's an almost unfortunate thing right now that, um, it feels sometimes the league has been flat. It's not just Berlin. It is a bunch of teams that just seem a little flat at the moment. There's a bit of a lack of culture when it comes to football. Um, there's a few teams that are fun to watch. Uh, Frankfurt is one of them. I, I enjoy watching Leverkusen quite a bit as well. Um, Stuttgart at the beginning of the season were actually a fun team to watch, but, you know, right now have gone under Korkut. Um, great run of results. I mean, they're pretty much out of the clear now. Um, they're most certainly going to avoid relegation. But they, they have done it by uh, sacrificing a certain sense of culture about them, right? And that's, that's something to be criticized about. Um, Hoffenheim, their football has improved in the last couple of weeks, but there was also a period where they were just not great to watch. And I mean, we talked about this about Dortmund. Not a team that is great to watch at the moment. I think there's, there has to be some criticism directed towards coaches, um, trying to almost maximize success. Um, and they all seem to come out of the same kind of, um, coaching factory. Um, cookie cutter coaching factory where they all play almost the same style of football. It's all about maximizing success and there's very little room for individual brilliance in a sort of, in a, a certain sense. And, um, that's something that maybe needs to be addressed in, in one way or another that, uh, because this is a league that traditionally was always one of the most fun leagues to watch. And this season, how many times have we, the three of us chatted on WhatsApp like, Oh, wow, this has been dreadful. And there's been a lot of games like that this season where it's just been not fun to watch. Maybe it's a symptom of all the clubs being so close together. Or maybe it's also a sim- symptom of all these are fantastic coaches that German football produces, but that are all, you know, trying to just maximize instead of showing creativity. You know, the, the laptop coach, as Mehmet Scholl called him um, a few weeks ago. I mean, Chris, how do you feel about 
there maybe being a more less entertaining games um this season um us maybe not getting the football that we're used to in the Bundesliga and possibly having more sides that um yeah just, just aren't that fun to to watch would would, would you agree uh, with Manu and, and if so what what do you think the issue is I think we were spoilt last year I thought we had a fantastically close league at times um be at the top for a while until near enough not far until the run-in until Bayern pulled clear um I thought we had a very tight uh, fight for Champions League places which went down to the last day we had um, a fight for relegation places, which went down, I think, to the final five minutes of the last game. Um, you know, those that 16th place was still fluid. Um, and I think this season, the criticisms we had of certain teams, which made the league very exciting last year, have been rectified. So, um, for instance, Frankfurt were quite poor the second half of the season. Um, and, you know, they rectified that so then more a steady team Schalke, Leverkusen, Gladbach were pretty dreadful last season as well um, two of those have improved one particularly hasn't um, Ingolstadt and Darmstadt I thought were very poor they were replaced by two sides who've actually held their own weight in the league when they've come up so the competition's a little more fierce and, and likewise the the quest for points has become a little more fierce so I think we're seeing more of a tactical game than we saw last year I think the shackles were taken off quite a lot of the teams last year and they were able to go out and play. And I mean, guys, we were getting um, four ones, three ones, five ones, six nils. We're getting a lot less of that. Take Bayern out of the equation when they're playing the likes of Hamburg. But we're getting a lot less of that. We're getting closer games, one, one, two, one, three, two. Um, so I think in order of teams have tidied up their um, their poor aspects from last season, which made the league exceptionally exciting, you know, the reverse has happened. They've become a tighter unit and, and the games are tighter and they're more of a tactical battle. And uh, teams are uh, teams have faltered when they shouldn't. Dortmund faltered when they shouldn't. Leverkusen have faltered and Schalke have faltered as well. And that's all helped by Munich race away with the league. And I think that, that tends to affect people. You know, if you're Schalke, um, you're playing for second place. No, no one really wants to do that at the start of March. Um, so that may be give a little bit and, and it's not as tight down the bottom as well so I think that doesn't help either last season I think when we went into the final few rounds if you were 10th you've had more chance of being relegated than you did of finishing seventh um, and potentially getting into Europe so I think that's what's happened for me Bryce is is everything that made the league exciting last season which was the um, inadequacies in certain teams has has been tightened up and, and we're seeing a, a tighter match day. Yeah well certainly it, it seems to be the case doesn't it I mean as you said uh, Chris it, it was rather close at the bottom last year and you know it just takes for you to look back at the table last year and you know, we we had four teams that you know were, were sixty points or above. Um, obviously with Bayern sitting out rather high, but even for you know the the teams going down, you know there was only six points separating thirteenth and seventeenth, and that just doesn't seem to be the case this year. But let's talk a little bit more about Bayern. Uh, Manu, we're going to go to you about um what the possible latest news on on a new coach there is um i mean is is hank just gonna stay is he gonna go what's what seems to be going on there yeah it's pretty funny so he said um this weekend that he's actually never said to anyone that um he he would end his career um at the end of the season um unfortunately for him and i, I talked to my, my dad about this um um, ZDF and ARD, the two big German television stations, actually then went out and found a video of him saying, this is definitely my last season at Bayern. So they kind of threw his own quote back at him. Um, but it kind of shows maybe, you know, that Hoeneß has been trying to fight on that front and trying to convince Heinkes to stay on long term. So maybe he's um, slowly but surely weakening Heinkes' resolve to, to end um, his career after this season and maybe hang on another year. Um, it's, it's, it's a big question mark. I think that there is really only two candidates for no, next year. And that's, uh, Heinkes. And if Heinkes says to Hernes, if Heinkes 
one morning wakes up and um, or one day is at home and his dog candle barks at him in a certain way and then he decides you know that that's the way it is for me my career is over or he interprets it as a way that um, his career is supposed to last one more year then he's going to phone Hernes and say look I'm going to do one more year and then Heinkes will be their coach next season um, if he doesn't uh, decide that he wants to continue then I think it will be someone else and then I personally think that someone else is likely going to be Thomas Tuchel um, simply because that's he is um, he is Karl-Heinz Rummenigge's favorite for the job and um, we all seen the way Tuchel plays football. I think it's it's a very good way of playing football. I think the only thing that Bayern are concerned about with Thomas Tuchel, and this is, I mean, Chris, we talked about this, um, is the way things ended at Dortmund, right? That's a big dark cloud that's hanging over Tuchel's head in a sense because we, the things that you hear from Dortmund is that he lacks empathy, right? Um, that he doesn't work well with other people and that he um is very much only geared towards the success on the pitch but he doesn't he's not he does something that we call in german the, the zwischenmenschliches he does he lacks the the human element yeah and if they want a coach who is gonna take them as close to guardiola and let's not forget that Bayern played some lovely football under guardiola then tuchel's the answer but what um, doesn't have that Guardiola had is the ability to man manage the ability for him to put his arm around youngsters and to be able to coach them and and really get them ready for a game and he also doesn't have the ability to put his arm around senior players and and be able to be like Manu says empathetic and tap into you know what makes Thomas Muller tick will be completely different what makes Kimmich tick and Guardiola is the type of manager and coach who can tap into those um, signifiers that make players play in a certain way. I don't think um, Thomas Tuchel has that. He is um, he's very much um, a black and white guy. You know, this is how it is. This is how it isn't. And he hasn't got the ability to strain to grey and and stroke players. And you know, we have to remember that you know football players are um, at the most of the time and are needy guys. And you know, they go from in being insecure to being overconfident and you need to have the right management style as a coach to deal with that. And I don't know if Thomas Tuchel has that. And if he can't have that at Dortmund, and I think Bayern's a, a bigger step up with regard of expectation and with level of player that is there. You look at who's at Bayern at the moment. You've got Mats Hummels, you've got Robin, you've got Ribery, and Muller's there, uh, Wagner's there. You know, he's quite an outspoken guy. I think there's potential for all those players to clash with Thomas Tuchel and for it to go as bad as it did at Bayern, as, as Bosch did. Um, not in playing style, but with dressing room um, compatibility. And if you lose a dressing room as a coach, as we all saw with Ancelotti, you're gone. Mm -hmm. So, it was, guys, would it be better if we've seen some of those uh, big names leave the club in the summer, uh, that would possibly make it a little easier if Tuchel did come in. Uh, would you agree with that, Manu, or or do you see that being unlikely? Well, that's why Tuchel didn't come in, right? Because he said um, one of the things, <laughs> if I, I come in, then this has to be the last year for Frank Ribéry and Arjen Robben, and it might very well be anyways. Um, they still haven't signed new contracts, and it's enough... Um, there's enough indication coming out um, of Munich that they might not actually be there anymore next year. Um, you see someone like Serge Knabry, for example, doing really well in the recent weeks in Hoffenheim. Um, he's going to be back. Um, it looks like Malcolm is going to be signed for the summer from Girondeau Bordeaux. He's a clear replacement on the wing. Kingsley Coman has having a fantastic year as well. Um, it seems like they want that slow transition to happen anyways. But to have that happen in, you know, October, and then now everyone knows that, um, you know, nine months later, that's it for two of the biggest stars that Bayern had potentially in the last 10 years. Who, uh, that, 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 that would have been a build every day, day in and day out. It would have been up and down the headlines. We would not see Bayern on top of the table the way they are right now if Tuchel would have come in and, been, and all this stuff going on in the background. So that was one of the big reasons why Heinkes was signed, right? As a kind of like a step over. Um, 
so yeah i think that is really one of the main issues um what's going to happen with the side and maybe having someone like Heinke as moderated might be almost a better thing um, even next season, you know, because there will be other players that are going in that direction um, of of becoming French players at the side. Amanda, would you say that Heinke, you think, is going to be the, the best man to uh, coach them next year or, or do you have somebody else in mind? <laughs> What, what was it, uh, Chris? It was five points. Dortmund were five points ahead of Bayern um, when Heinkes took over. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and and now Bayern had 21 points to Dortmund. Um, I think that answers all your questions. <laughs> it's it's phenomenal what Heinkes has done. Absolutely phenomenal. And um, 538 just came up with a statistic. Bayern are now, together with Barcelona, the favorites to win the Champions League as well. Um, it's, it's absolutely amazing. He's taking a side that we were laughing about. I thought that the end was near for and has returned him to basically where they were in 2013. Um, and that's, that's absolutely incredible for a 72 year old man who wasn't in football for five years. I, I think if Bayern can hang on to Heinkes for another year, I, I think they'd be very well, very well served. Um, and then they can go sign. Um, there's a bunch of names that they're looking for in, in 2019. Maybe, maybe Löw will be available. Maybe Nagelsmann will be available. They're very interested in bringing Jurgen Klopp. Um, those are names that are being discussed in the upper echelons in, in Munich. Um, aside from Thomas Tuchel and maybe that one more year under Heikes will just give them that time to sort that out. And it's not like that Heinkes would be a B solution. I would actually say, I would actually reckon that whoever comes in after Heinkes will not do as good as a job as Heinkes did this year because this has been phenomenal. There might be, there might be German champion in two match days, Rice. That's incredible. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. That really is, um, incredible when you think about how far behind Dortmund they were. I mean, people will be probably listening to this saying, yeah, but Dortmund, you know, completely fell you know, off. Um, but it's incredible what he's, the stability that he's brought to that side again. And for them to be, um, you know, possible Champions League uh, favourites as well. I mean, just uh, it's just incredible, isn't it? But um, guys, let, let's talk about the Monday night game, uh, which we've seen um, just a few hours ago. Um, the protests happened once again. Uh, Chris, you um, described it as... Um, well, being rather frustrating um, to to watch. Um, so that clearly means that the fans had have got their point across, haven't they? And this protest of Monday Night Games just continues. Yeah, this was the most, um, I would say this was the best um, interruption that they could have had. The tennis balls, it stops the game, it starts it again. The protests around the side, um, you know, the banners in the Frankfurt Leipzig game that stopped the game for ten minutes. I thought the Dortmund one was um, visually a very strong protest, but um, tonight's with the whistles, I think, was the best because um, had I not um, been a Bundesliga journalist, I would have turned it off. In fact, I watched the second half at the volume down, and I've never done that for a football match. I, I can say for a very, very long time, maybe 10, 11 years, um, when there was a particular commentator in England who, who just grated on me and he's no longer on television. And I, I genuinely, I would say it's 10 years since I watched a football match with a sound down. And that will, I don't think it was lost on social media and it won't have been lost to people around the world. And I think for the DFL, that's probably worse than, uh, than an empty stadium because it, it's horrendous to listen to. Um, and it's off-putting for the players, although I think both sets of players did exceptionally well not to stop once um, because it was pretty much the same tone as the referee's whistle, but it was from all four sides of the ground, so it was well it was well done. Um, I think now we're seeing different managers and we're seeing different club owners say that the Monday night game shouldn't go ahead, so whether it can be taken out of the DFL's contract with um, Sky and Eurosport We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that's it. But I don't think I've uh, witnessed um, a noise quite as frustrating that even comes across uh, on the television as uh, the Vuvuzelas, probably, from the 2010 
uh, World Cup. I found that rather frustrating, but maybe just because I'm not used to it. You know, maybe, maybe I'll not take anything away from the African football fans. Um, but uh, Manu, the, it also seen a result go against Cologne once again. I mean, as you said, you Cologne have have tried to play good football. They've tried to fight in the second half of the uh, the campaign, but it's it's just not went their way once again. And we talked about um, last match day. Um, possibly being the the nail in the coffin, but I would I would say that this is you know that this is probably even more so than that one as they lost to Werner Bremen. Um, the, the, there's there's not really any way back from now, is there? Mm, there? There wasn't really any way back last week. I think that was just such a gutting experience, and um, have to give it to Werder too. They play some good football right now. Um, which I did not expect when they signed Kofeld. I think I was one of the people that just like really ripped into Werder at the time because I was just so fed up. Um, this was a side that I loved watching back in the, the 2000s because I thought they played some of the best football on the planet. And that hasn't been the case in a long time, but they have, they were good in this game and they play some really nice football these days. And, uh, I think for Werder, this means they're basically, um, almost, you know, safe. Um, maybe relegation playoffs is the only thing that they have to keep an eye on. But yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Bryce, but Köln and Hamburg, I, I, we have match day 26 and we know those two sides are likely to go down. Yeah, sad times for, um, sets of both fans. But, uh, guys, just to finish the podcast off, I'm going to put a question to uh, both of you. Um, we've obviously got Mainz. They're sitting in 16th. That's going to put them into the playoff position with uh, whoever finishes third in, uh, Bundesliga 2. I suppose the question that I've got is, who do you think will be in that position coming into the season? And the second question will be, do you have any preference as to who you would like to see go into that position with a possible result in them going down? Uh, Manu, we'll go back to you. Um, what are your thoughts? Oh, I think it's probably going to be Wolfsburg and Mainz, and I think they both deserve it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can only pick one, but they maybe Wolfsburg because of the mismanagement. Um, they just... You know, I said it a few weeks ago. If you have the same wage budget and Atletico Madrid and you're down there, um, you definitely deserve it. And Chris, uh, who would you imagine will be in that position coming into the, the season? And who would you prefer um, had the possibility of going down? Oh, it's a really hard one, that, because they're both as bad as each other at the moment. Um, who do I think will be there? I think it could be Mainz that could be there come the end of the season in that 16th slot and who would have liked to be in that? That's a that's a horrible um, decision to have to make because I've, I've been to both grounds um, a couple of times now So and they're both exceptionally friendly places and the people we deal with are exceptionally nice people as well. Uh, but I think on the on the gist of it, it would have to be, I'll have to agree with Manu and go for Wolfsburg because you know, of who they're backed by um, and, and the money that they spend, uh, I, I think, and the way they played last year and they ended up in it and they haven't learned a lesson again from this season, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in 16th and, and be in another relegation playoff. And will they be as lucky this time? Who knows? I mean, I think they were lucky that they played um, Braunschweig last season. I think if they would have played Union Berlin, if Union would have just managed to creep into that third slot, I think we would have been looking at a different team in the Bundesliga this season. Yeah, well, both sides um, have their work cut out for them uh, this coming weekend, as Mainz will be away to Eintracht Frankfurt, who will be looking to uh, get a win after uh, coming so close um, to that draw against uh, Dortmund. And it sees Wolfsburg at home to Schalke, which is also going to be a, a rather difficult challenge for them. But that more or less does it for this week. I think we've managed to cover quite a few topics, if I'm being honest. Um, I can only imagine both of you guys are going to be busy um, this coming week. Um, Chris, what would you like to draw people's attention to or where can they find you online? You can find me online at Chris78Williams on Twitter um, and you can find all my work. Um, which will be tweeted out either on that or the at Football Grad Live. Uh, me personally, I've got a um, Barcelona Chelsea preview, which will be out tomorrow to write. Um, and then 
um, may have time to cover one of the games later on this evening, depending on workload. I'm um, sorry, not this evening, later on this week, depending on workload. Um, but if not, Al, you can find my graphics work on anything that Manu writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good, yes. Busy as always, though. Um, Manu, that brings us to you next. I'm sure you'll have plenty to uh, talk about. Uh, what have you got going on the Football Grad Network, and where can people find you online? Yeah, um, the Champions League previews, so um, mine are out. I'm just waiting for Chris's, and then um, that's all the Champions League previews covered. And then the Europa League previews are going to be out, I guess, tomorrow at some point as well. Um, and then um, we have a special guest on the Football Grad podcast tomorrow to discuss club owners running on the field with a gun in their holster. So we'll have so we had actually someone in, at that stadium, and he's going to come on to discuss it all. Um, on the football guard podcast. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. Um, so that all that content can be found, um, you know, as Chris mentioned at football guard live. Fantastic. Yes. At football grad live on Twitter, you'll see many, many articles coming your way and match reports, very exciting times and busy times for the guys. You can find myself on Twitter at Bryce Dunn 11. Um, guys, um, just um, if, if you've enjoyed the podcast, as I always say, um, please feel um, feel welcome to to come and uh, speak to us on Twitter, whether it's um, you know through Football Grads or or, or any of uh, us online. We we always like to hear from you, and if you'd like us to to discuss anything, we're we're all ears. Um, also, if you if you're enjoying the podcast, please um, head over to the likes of uh, iTunes and that and leave us some positive feedback. We'd greatly appreciate that. But that more or less does it from us this week. We'll be back in what will seem like none other than a flash. Until then, I'll feed us in. Ich war seit Wochen Auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.